In the last few weeks, um, been touching a concept about knowing what season it is. And it, I started that message the week before Christmas, and I said most people would say it's the season to be jolly, but I was preaching about the year of God's favor. I want to share some thoughts with you, and I'm going to ask you a question. Can you tell time? How many of you can tell time? How many of you remember when you first started school? I remember that. That was in New York, Queens, Flushing, PS32. And uh, I remember that the very first things they started to teach us when we were kids, as well as one, two, three, four, and A, B, C, they also taught us about time. Now, I think this will bring back some memories. They taught us time on several different levels. First of all, they taught us how to recognize time by the seasons. And they would start with autumn, winter, spring, and summer. How many of you remember in school, in kindergarten or first grade, being given an assignment where you had to go and pick up some autumn leaves of bright colors and bring them back to the class, show off your leaves, and then you got the chance to glue them on a piece of paper and take them home to mom and dad and fully expecting that they would just fall over with amazement at your piece of artwork, right? <clears throat> yeah, how many of you remember that? Okay. And so we quickly learn what autumn is, and then we'd learn what winter is, and we do drawings of winter. And I remember one time as, you know, kindergarten or first grade, whichever it was, the kid next to me, the little boy, was drawing a picture, and it was snowing, and he had a sun out. And I started laughing. I said, he drew a sun in the winter. And much to my dismay, the teacher had to correct me and tell me the sun shines all the time. <laughs> See, I remember that. I learned. I never made that stupid comment again. <laughs> and you learn what autumn is, what winter is, what spring is. Every spring, there was a house in the vicinity of our school that Mr. Steele owned. That was his name. In fact, his granddaughter was in my class. She had long blonde hair. And... Oh, by the way, yes. And uh, Mr. Steele had this beautiful garden. And every year, every, every class would be taken on an excursion down the block from the school, and all the kids would stand around the outer perimeter of Mr. Steele's garden because it was filled with gorgeous flowers. I learned later that my father was the gardener who actually worked on that garden. <clears throat> so in spring, we'd go to Mr. Steele's house. Some of my cousins are watching. They've been watching me now for the last couple of months. I have to be very careful what I say. Uh, and so they would remember going to Mr. Steele's house in springtime. We'd learn what spring was. We'd learn what summer was. And then there was the next phase of learning how to tell time. They would teach us the months of the year. January, February, March. And for every month they had a drawing of what characterized that month 
and that part of the year. And then, of course, you learn the weeks. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then we learned, after we learned the weeks, we learned the days broken up into hours and minutes and seconds. How many of you remember this? The teacher would have a big round clock and she'd put the big hand on the 12 and she'd ask the question, so when the big hand is on the 12 and the little hand is on the 1, what time is it, class? You all need to go back to school. <laughs> what time is it, class? One o'clock. And when the big hand is on the 12 and the little hand is on the 2, what time is it, class? It's 2 o'clock. And when the big hand's on the 12 and the little hand's on the 3, what time is it? It's 3 o'clock. And we learned how to tell time. You know, learning to tell time from the seasons, learning to tell time from the months, from the days of the week, down to hours, minutes, and seconds, became a foundational learning experience that really has served us through the rest of our lives. Time is important. And with that, Jesus talked about time. In Luke chapter 12, verse 54 to 56, he said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain. And it does. And when the south wind blows, okay, and when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot. And it is. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it you don't know how to interpret the present time? Timing is very important. It is extremely important. In fact, timing was so important. And what Jesus was getting at was that from the spiritual leaders down to the common person, they didn't understand what season or what time they were living in. And consequently, their Messiah came and they didn't recognize him. And they missed him. They had been waiting hundreds of years for this Messiah. Do you understand the principle that when you don't recognize or discern what time it is, you could miss out on something very special in God? They missed out on the most important historic point in the whole nature of who they were meant to be. Because from the very beginning, God said to Abraham, and your seed will be a blessing to the nations of the world. And when that seed came, they didn't recognize what season they were living in. They didn't recognize the time they could tell what was happening on the earth and in the sky, but they couldn't tell what was happening in the spirit world. And you know, I have found, and not only I, 
History repeats itself. And the things of the Old Testament are written for us to learn so that we don't make the same mistakes. But I have found that the church always parallels Israel. And the church, too, is often lacking in its ability to be able to tell time. It's very important that we can tell time. Because strategic and important earth-moving things will be missed if we can't tell the time. You see, because they didn't recognize the season that their God was coming to them, some 37 years later, after his crucifixion, the judgment of God came on that nation. Jesus wept on the mountain before they crucified him, two weeks before they crucified him. And he said, if only, if only you had to recognize the season, the coming of your king, and what would have brought you peace. We as Gentiles are just as earthly and as human as our fellow Hebrew brothers and sisters. And it's important that in the church of Jesus Christ, we understand the season. Now, the season is getting ready to change. There is a new season coming, and it's not a very nice season. The Bible calls it the day of God's wrath. It hasn't come yet. But we don't really even appreciate or understand in totality the season that we're living in right now. And the season that we're living in right now is a very important time. And so to be able to learn the seasons of the year, the months of the year, the days of the week, and the hours of a day, why don't we do what we did back in school and start at the beginning? Can we do that? Are you ready? Are you with me? You didn't think you were coming to school today, did you? But this is spiritual school. Listen, I'm not just trying to make this interesting. No, I'm talking about these things because I'm giving you parallels because this is very, very important. People don't understand the spiritual time. And consequently, they miss out on very important blessings and rights and privileges that are ours. So, we're going to go back to what I read Christmas Eve, the beginning of the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 11. I'm going to just briefly do a little bit of review of a couple of points I touched on Christmas Eve, but then we're going to move forward from there. Verse 8 to 11, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news. In the the Greek, that's evangelo. Good news. 
I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. All the people, great joy. And that word great in the Greek is actually megos. Without limit. Beyond imagination. I think sometimes our imagination cuts short how great the joy is that God has actually brought us. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ, the one that the prophets have told you would one day come. And he is born today as a Savior in the town of Bethlehem. That Greek word, Savior, if we could throw up uh, on the screen Uh, The Greek word is soter. A savior is a soter. What does it mean? One who saves, delivers, and preserves. So God sent a delegation of angels to earth to make an announcement. Today is born in Bethlehem one who has come to deliver who has come to save, and who has come to preserve. Save from what? Deliver from what? Preserve what? I remember when I was a little kid, I was about six, seven years old, and my parents took us to uh, my father's friend's church, and they had a visiting Bible college, and the Bible college was ministering that night, and they made an altar call afterwards. I don't remember what was preached. I don't remember one word of that sermon. All I remember is there was a pulling in my heart to go out the front when they made an altar call to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I understood little to nothing. All I knew was Jesus loved me and I loved Jesus. Now in this particular church in Bayside, Long Island, Uh, The whole platform was made up of steps like this, and I remembered coming out the front and kneeling at the altar to ask Jesus into my heart. And one of the Bible school students came up to me and he said, now remember, I was about seven years old. He said, are you saved? And in a little boy's mind, all I could think of was saved from what? Being hit by a truck? I mean, honestly, that's what I thought. These are the thoughts that went through my mind. Saved from what? Being hit by a truck? Drowning? And he says, do you understand what I mean? And I said, no. He says, do you love Jesus? I said, yes. He said, do you want Jesus in your heart? I said, yes. And he prayed with me that day. But a Savior comes to save. The question is to save from what? The Bible tells us that this whole earth was in darkness, but God sent a light to the darkness to rescue those who were in darkness. In fact, if we want to really stay with a Christmas theme, and I'm not trying to preach a Christmas-themed message, but Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is giving. That chapter starts with the fact that it lays out the fact 
that people were walking in darkness and a light came to them. And that light broke the yoke that was on their shoulders. Broke the chains that were on their hands and on their legs. And it says, as it was in the day of uh, of Midian's defeat. This was a very historic moment in Israel's history. Before they had any kings, they had judges. And the Midianites would invade the land like locusts and take the harvest and take the grain and take the newborn uh, sheep in the pastures. And the Hebrew people would hide. One guy named Gideon hid in a wine press. Here was this round mud brick uh, cylinder uh, tower where they would press the wine and make wine and this guy's hiding in there and he's threshing out the wheat, something they would normally do out in the fields. But the Midianites were so oppressive. So this great Christmas carol passage, for unto us a child is born, starts with a declaration that God says people were living in darkness, and they were in oppression, living in fear. The Midianites were oppressive, and people had bars of iron on their shoulders and chains on their hands. Today, a Savior is born in the city of Bethlehem, and he's come to save us. Save us from what? Listen, there is a heaven and there is a hell. There is a loving God and there are demons, fallen angels who are full of hate, anger, and curses. They despise humanity and we see the fruit and the evidence of their work all throughout life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. But I, the Savior have come to bring you life and life more abundantly. Hallelujah. Amen. Yeah, give him a hand. Why not? So tear, a savior. He comes to deliver. He comes to preserve. The word sotir comes from the Greek word sozo. And sozo means to save. But when you look it up in the Greek original context of the scriptures, it says that sozo means to deliver or protect, to heal, to preserve, to save, to make people whole. I've come, the angel says, to tell you, Good news. Good news. I come to a world that's been living in darkness. I come to a world that has been overshadowed by demonic oppression as if there are bars of iron across their shoulders and leg irons around their ankles. I come to let humanity know that today a Savior is born in the city of David and this Savior has come to break the bar of iron and to cut through the chains of iron. He has come as a deliverer. 
deliverer. He has come as a protector. He has come as a healer. He has come to bring life and life more abundantly. So the Sotir, the Savior, the Deliverer, the Preserver, comes to save, to heal, to preserve, and to make whole. Unfortunately, the church has the same problem that our Hebrew brothers and sisters had. And we don't always recognize this season. And we have reduced the workload of the Savior to one itty-bitty, very important, but one itty-bitty thing. And that is, if you believe on Him and ask Him to forgive you of your sins, He'll take His eraser out and erase the list of who was naughty and write your name in the book of life. Now please understand me. That is of utmost importance. The most important thing. But a savior is a protector. A savior is a deliverer. A savior, according to the language that the angel used, is a healer. According to the prophecies of Isaiah, he came to set us free just like Israel was set free from the oppression of the Midianites. You listen to the same news I listen to. I make a point of listening to both sides of the news forum. It's not news anymore, it's more opinion. People are giving their opinions, slanted. I listen to both sides because I love truth. And I investigate truth. I don't want to believe just what somebody else believes, I want truth. You see, that's why I believe in Jesus Christ. I've done my homework. And we listen to what the world has to say. And the signs of the times are gloomy. But in the midst of signs that are gloomy, I haven't let go of the fact that today has been born a Savior and He comes to deliver us from what's happening in the world. Satan is the God of this world, but Jesus Christ is the Lord over everything. Amen. While Satan is the God of the world, he's not my God. And if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, he's not your God and he's not your Lord and your master and he's not the one who has jurisdiction over your life. If you have given your life over to Jesus Christ, the Bible says you have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. Understanding the seasons, being able to tell time. I said, let's go back to the beginning. So we read Luke chapter 2 to see exactly what the angel had to announce. Now I want you to 
follow me as we look at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. This Savior grew up. Jesus. Born in Bethlehem. Raised in Nazareth. He went out to the desert led by the Holy Spirit to go face to face with his arch enemy. The one who deceived the very first man, the very first Adam. And Jesus went out there to face him and all his life he faced him for one reason. Where Adam failed, this Savior, the last Adam, came to pick up the crown and pick up the throne and take his place so that anyone who will believe in him will no longer be under the suffering of the kingdom of darkness but under come under the joy of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So Jesus faced this enemy, went through a series of mental battles, emotional battles, spiritual battles. And he overcomes them. And finally, Satan, the Bible says, left him for an opportune time. Do you know when that opportune time was? When Jesus was already being kicked in the guts and the people of the world were crucifying him on the cross. You know what I know about the devil? At heart, He's a coward. At heart, he knows he's defeated. One time, Jesus was casting a a legion of demons out of a man. This man was so disturbed that they would chain him up in the graveyards. And he would break free and terrorize the people in the land. And Jesus deliberately, he was in Galilee, got in a boat, crossed uh, uh, the Sea of Galilee, went to the other side, a Gentile side, got out of the boat just to meet this one man. You say, how do you know that? Because after he finished dealing with this one man, a Gentile, on the other side of the world, so to speak, he got back in his boat and went back to his people to keep on preaching. And when Jesus came to this man who was known as Legion, because that's what the demons would say. They say, we are Legion, for we are many. (laughs) I think Jesus just laughed. In fact, I'm convinced he just laughed. But if you read that story, and I'll leave that for you to do as homework. The demons said... Have you come to torment us before our appointed time? See, demons know there is coming a time at the end of the age, at the end of the millennium, where Satan, their leader, and every demon underneath them will be picked up and cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. This demon is a coward. He knows his defeat. He knows his end. Even before Jesus went to the cross, they asked him, have you come to torment us before our appointed time? And the answer is yes! 
Why? For the sole fake of having a knockdown brawl and just torment them? No, he came to set the captives free. For this reason, John writes, for this reason was the Son of God made manifest on earth to destroy, to rip apart, to break the iron bar and to cut through the chains. For this reason was the Son of God made manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. <laughs> Praise God. Why? Because the works of the evil one are to bring suffrage on you. The works of the evil one are to steal from you, kill you, destroy, make your life filled with misery and pain. No wonder the angels, after several thousand years being in heaven and hearing and watching the Father's heart break over the creation that had gone wild, the angels sang in unison and said, Today, a Savior is born in Bethlehem! A soter comes to sozo to rescue, to deliver, to protect. You mean in the midst of COVID? In the midst of COVID. To deliver, to heal, to save. Last week, you heard the testimony of Deb Debbie, Debbie Roya, and she shared how one year ago, she's in Bible school one year, and then she gets this news that uh, she has terminal cancer, uh, it is stage four, inoperable in her lungs. You can't exactly just cut her lungs out. See, the devil comes to bring bad news. But Jesus came to bring good news. And sometimes Christians don't really understand that the good news of Jesus Christ is better than the bad news of the kingdom of hell. Hallelujah. The good news of the kingdom of God is greater than the bad news of Satan himself. Hallelujah. This day is born unto us a child, a son, and his name will be known as Wonderful. And every week we come here and we sing about how wonderful he is. How right the prophet Isaiah was. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. So this Savior comes back from the desert after having gone mano a mano with his arch enemy and the arch enemy of humanity. And he walks into the synagogue in his hometown. And as was the custom, they would pass the scroll, the Pentateuch around, and there was the time where they were passing around the scroll of Isaiah. And when you read the story, I mean a scroll 
isn't broken down into chapters and verses. That's something that was added to our Bibles as a means of convenience so that we could quickly locate portions of Scripture. Jesus just had the whole book of Isaiah rolled up in one long sheet, and he's pulling it out, pulling it out, pulling it out. I mean, come on, you read it. They didn't have a book like you and I have. And he's pulling out, pulling out, pulling out until he found the passage he wanted to read. Why? He came to make a proclamation. He came to say, now is the time. What time is it? Jesus said, now is the time. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 to 19, he said, the Spirit of God is on me. He's anointed me. He prepared me. He is backing me. He's covering me with the power of his hand. He has layered his Holy Spirit on me. Why? To preach good news. The world has got nothing but bad news and even their good news sounds like bad news next to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has anointed me to preach good news. Interesting. The angel said to the shepherds, good news. A Savior is born. And he will bring great joy to all the peoples. And Jesus starts his ministry by reading Isaiah 61. The Spirit of God has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of God's favor. So he came to preach good news and to make a proclamation that this is the acceptable year of God's favor. And what does it look like? It looks like healing the brokenhearted, proclaiming liberty to captives, people that are in bondage to demonic forces, mental, emotional oppression, physical oppression, and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty anyone and everyone who has ever been touched by the kingdom of darkness. But sometimes the church doesn't know what time it is. And there are portions of the church that have reduced this gospel just down to a list of who's naughty and nice, who's a sinner and who's saved. Whether or not we're going to heaven or hell. And I'm going to say it from the beginning to the end, the most important thing is that your name is written in the book of life, but that's not the only thing your father's concerned about. He's concerned about everything that vexes you and everything that ails you. If he wasn't, then he wouldn't bother breaking the 
bar of iron across our shoulders and taking off the, the ball and chain around our waist. He could forgive your sins without doing any of that. He could write your name in the book of life and leave you miserable and suffering. And, you know, while it might be good news, it isn't necessarily going to create mega joy. What I love about this gospel. And what I love about this Sotir who came to Sozo is that everything that affects us affects the heart of our Father in heaven. And everything that concerns us concerns our Father in heaven. Amen. Hang on a second. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. Isn't it interesting that this Savior made a proclamation? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He anointed me. He set me up. He's empowered me to preach good news to the poor. To heal. And heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of God's favor. Church, what season are we living in? This is the acceptable year of God's favor. The season is about to change. Jesus is coming back, and he's going to take his son's bride to glory. And then the wrath of God will be evident on the face of the earth. But we need to live in the time period that we're in now. That is yet to come and it's not far away. But before the time period shifts, make sure that you are enjoying and reaping and benefiting from everything that this soter has come to bring us. Amen. Amen. Yeah, give the Lord a clap. Absolutely. John 10.10, Jesus made a very plain, blatant statement. He made it simple. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. When he fills your body with aches and pains to the point where you don't even want to get up in the morning. When he fills your life with such depression and heaviness that you don't want to see the light of another day. When relationships are crashing around you and the people that you want to love the most and thought they loved you the most fail in relationship and you want to end it all. These are things that come under the description of stealing, killing, and destroying. The thief has come to make life miserable. The thief has come to put a bar across people's shoulders and make them slaves. The thief has come to take away the things that you want to sing about. The thief has come to take away the things that would make you dance when nobody else is dancing. Hallelujah. The thief has come to write the newspaper and the headlines. He's come to steal, to kill and destroy. But the Son of God 
has come to set us free and to heal and to deliver. Hallelujah. By the way, did you like my little jig? <laughs> the thief has come to steal. You know what that looks like. He's come to kill. You've experienced that. He's come to destroy, to mess up. We've all experienced it. So here, as I come to the conclusion of my message, hear me. Because this is very important. If Jesus is the Savior, then it stands to reason that everything the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus comes to save us from. If Jesus' ability to save isn't far greater than Satan's ability to destroy, then Jesus isn't a savior. He's only a helper. I'm going to say it again. If Jesus' ability to save isn't far greater than Satan's ability to destroy, then Jesus isn't really a savior. He's only a helper. You have to decide if you're going to be more convinced about Satan's ability to harm you, to hurt you, to destroy you, to imprison you, you have to decide if you're going to be more convinced of Satan's ability and his power to do you harm or of Jesus' power and ability to save you. We're coming into 2021. I got news for you. 2020 was not a kind year. But it doesn't change the gospel. And it doesn't change what Jesus has come to do. In fact, the worse it gets out there, the more Jesus rises up to his title, I've come to be a savior. Hallelujah. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to take everything I said, I'm going to break it down to something that might look a little bit like a two-by-four slapping you between your eyes. Sometimes, as Christians, we are more convinced of the power the devil has to harm us than we are convinced of what Christ can do to save us. Sometimes, we are more convinced of the power of a foreign God than we are of the Son of God. Wow. When we talk about 
all the things that come under the category of stealing, killing, and destroying. And we moan about it, and we groan about it, and we talk about such a bleak experience that we're having. Sometimes we are giving worship to a lesser God and a foreign God than giving worship to the only true God. I don't need New Year's Eve resolutions. I don't even need a new year. I'm still living in the year of God's favor. And 2021 isn't going to call me into what it intends to be. I'm going to call 2021 into what my father has already called it. And it's the year of God's favor. Can I get an amen? I will not live by the dictates of the God of this world when I can live on the shoulders of victory of the God of the universe. Amen. I will not be afraid of what 2021 holds because I know the one who holds me. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to break down this passage in Luke chapter 4. I'm going to start to go word by word in the Greek and show you how religion and doctrines of demons have robbed the church from our inheritance now. Yeah. And I'm going to show you in the original language, what this so terror came to do, and how the enemy wants to keep a blanket on it. Because if he can keep a blanket on what the year of God's favor looks like, everybody knows what autumn looks like. Everybody knows what winter looks like. And everybody knows what spring and summer looks like. But it seems to me that sometimes the sons of God don't understand and know what the year of God's favor looks like. I am convinced that the enemy who is a created and fallen, less than version of what he was originally created in, doesn't even enter into the same arena as the God of the universe who created all angels and created you and me. And he never became flesh and went to a cross and died for an angel, but he went to the cross and died for you to rescue you from the power of fallen angels. <laughs> We, we really haven't fully envisioned all that that means. But God doesn't stop there. We still haven't really scratched the surface of what that entails. 
But you know what God did? He went beyond that too. We still don't really understand our salvation, but God goes beyond and he says, I will raise you up and seat you in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Wherever he is, he is the head and you're the body. And he says, not only will I do that, but I'm going to make you a co-heir together with Christ. You see, the first Adam was given the right to rule and reign on God's behalf. And he sold us out. He sold himself out. He became tricked. And the whole world has been swaying under the weight of a curse. But the last Adam, God himself, clothed himself in humanity. And he becomes the last Adam because there will never be need for another rescuer. There'll never be need for another soter. There'll never be need for another deliverer. Because what Jesus has come to do is far greater than what the enemy has already done. <laughs> Come on, stand with me and give the Lord a shout. Come on, let's praise the Lord as you stand to your feet this morning. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask my pastors if they would come on down the front and just face the congregation. Pastor Tom, come on down. And Pastor Jan, come on down. Pastor Carlos, I don't know if you can let go to soundboard enough. Maybe your son or somebody can fly it a little bit. And come on down. I want you to know not only who you are in Jesus Christ. I want you to know what's yours in Jesus Christ. And even though this season is about to be changed, it's about to change, we're not going to be here when it changes. It doesn't mean you stop living life to the full. It doesn't mean that you stop eating the bread that comes from your father's hand. Yeah, the season's about to change. And it's going to get pretty ugly. But until Jesus comes back, I'm going to keep living in the power of the year of God's favor. Can I get an agreement this morning? Amen. We're going to invite you to, if you want prayer for healing or prayer for anything, you need a miracle in your life. Good news. There's a Savior. He's not a helper. He's a Savior. What he can do is bigger than what the enemy has done. <laughs> he comes to save. If he can't do the, outdo the enemy, he's only a helper who needs help. But to be a savior, you got to be bigger than the source of the problem. He's a savior. Amen. Amen. He's a savior. Every eye closed, please. Every person in meditative thought for a moment. Most important thing, 
is have you been taken out of the kingdom of darkness? Have you been taken out of the jurisdiction, the right to control of demons? Have you come into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his glorious son? The first step in everything that a sotir comes to do is to be saved from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light. Jesus used another term, you need to be born again. You were born into the first Adam and everyone in the first Adam is a slave and a puppet to demons and to Satan. But when you are born again into the last Adam, that kingdom no longer has power and jurisdiction over you. You see, we've yet to fully understand and step into the fullness of what the good news of the gospel really is. But if you have never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, Maybe you believe in Jesus. I believe in a president called Lincoln. But I can't have a relationship with him. And he can't save me. Maybe you believe in a person called Jesus. Maybe you've been religious. That's good. But it's not the real thing. Jesus said, you must. He didn't say it was an option. He says, if you want to escape the hell on earth, you must be born again. That's a spiritual experience. Inviting Christ to come into your life and live inside of you. And if you've never done it, today. Today is the day of salvation. This is the year of God's favor. You need to do that for your benefit. And if you've done it and you've walked away from the things of God, hello, time to come home and let Jesus Christ come back into your heart. Yeah. So while every eye is closed, if the Spirit of God is preaching to you, I want you to raise your hand and say yes. I want Jesus to come into my heart. I see that hand. Thank you. God bless you. Anyone else today want to accept Christ as your Lord and as your Savior? Ask Jesus to come and live inside you. The most important thing in the world. Amen. It's the beginning of good news. It's the beginning of what a Savior can do. Amen. Amen. Everyone pray with me. Father, I believe you care. And you love me. Jesus, I believe you are God in the flesh. And you died on that cross for me. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, come into my heart. Live inside of me. Take the bar off my shoulders. Take the chains off my arms and legs. Jesus Christ, I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. 
Forgive me of all of my mistakes and all my sins. And from today, live in me and live with me. Thank you, God, for this great salvation. Amen. Amen. Praise God. If you've done that today, whether it's on live stream, Roku, Apple TV, or uh, Facebook, YouTube, or if you've done that here in the auditorium, I would encourage you to let somebody know, someone who has been living this kind of a life. Let them know because we want to mentor you and help you and help you grow. Yeah. We're going to open the altar. And those of you who need to go, you're free to go in just a moment. But those of you who want some kind of prayer and need a breakthrough in your life, we welcome you to come on down the front. And if you are some of those who raised their hands a moment ago, while others are coming out the front, why don't you come to want to pray for you? You know, last week we prayed for the sick, and we have uh, Gloria, one of the youngest people in the church here. And uh, for how many months, Brian, has your mom been walking with a walker? A year, a year and a half. And last week she came out the front and Pastor Tom was uh, the one who was blessed to pray for her. He said, what do you want? And as she's trying to think of how to put it in words, he says, you want to get rid of this thing standing between you and me? And she said, yeah. He lays hands on her, prays for her. They put the walker aside and Gloria started walking without the walker. And she came here today without the walker. Amen. Healings and miracles aren't meant to be sporadic. Today is the day of salvation. This is the year of God's favor. Drink it in and receive it all. It's yours. And don't let the thief be what he is, a thief, and rob you of the gifts that have your name written on them. Amen. Amen. So, as they switch over to some worship music, if you want prayer, if you raise your hand, come on down the front. We'll spend a few moments praying with you. And those of you who need to leave, God bless you. Have an incredible week. And those of you who want to stay and be prayers and intercessors and worshipers while we're praying for the sick, that's what helps create an atmosphere of the miraculous. Amen. Then just stay in your seat standing and put your hands towards people being prayed for and uh, just stay in that atmosphere of worship. Amen. But until then, I am looking forward to ripping up these scriptures and going deeper in the Word of God with you next week. I, I found so much stuff. I had to turn this into two or three sermons and I am excited from now, what I already know I'll be preaching next week. I'll see you in the new year. God bless you. Amen. 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 Amen.